Hey guys, welcome back to Twisted Times, a weekly podcast with me, Cece King, and my co-host, Ryan Jillian. Ryan and I are good friends who are both writers, actors, and activists. Ryan is also a teacher, and I produce films, and right now we are hosts of this podcast. Every week we bring on unique and influential guests hoping to elevate voices through conversations and drinks. Pull up a seat to our table and join us. Move over, Kathy Lee and Hoda. Ryan and Cece are here. Recess founder Ben White has always been naturally wired and anxious. After experimenting with natural remedies, it was the unique combination of hemp extract and adaptogens that seemed to do the trick. Describing his feeling as not tired, not wired, he was determined to create a product that harnessed the balanced, focused state of mind. Recess was born in 2018 and has been spreading a calm, cool, collected message ever since. Not only is Recess a relaxing CBD beverage, but they are also a wellness and lifestyle brand with digital experiences and apparel for the creative community. Visit takearecess.com and use promo code TWISTEDTIMES for 15% off. Ryan, are you there? Twisted Times, a weekly podcast with Cece and Ryan. Raika Sese is a Midwest program manager for Ignite National, a movement of young women who are ready and eager to become the next generation of political leaders. Rai is a passionate advocate for racial and gender equality through blending her interests in culture, policy, and community organizing. She has also had the opportunity to speak with young women across the United States and internationally on the power of cultivating purpose into social impact. You guys, I just have to say, I want to be Rai when I grow up. So much to talk to you about. We're super excited. Rai. So it's Rai. Yes, it's Rai. Rai, welcome to the Twisted Times photo. Oh my gosh. Welcome to the Twisted Times voting <laughs> booth. I keep calling it a photo booth and I don't know why. Okay. I mean, we can also take a photo. I know. Oh, it's really so cute. We might right? have to do that. <laughs> That's what I did. Really? Yeah, I actually already voted. So I definitely took my selfies. I got real cute, you know, <laughs> putting in my vote in a time Ooh. where it's never been more important. Yeah. Can yes, I ask you a question? Yes. Just if you don't mind me asking, is no. this would this be your first time voting? No, actually, this is my second. This is my actually third time. The first time I voted was in the 2016 election. Well, wow! Welcome back to voting. The first thing first is we would love for our listeners and for us. What's your name and where are you located right now? <laughs> yeah. Um, hello to all of the listeners right now. My name is Rai. And I'm actually from Minnesota. I was born and raised here, but I'm all, I do also want to acknowledge I'm the child of immigrants. I'm a first generation American. Both of my parents are immigrants from Ethiopia and they arrived here by way of the diversity visa, which is essentially a lottery program for 
um, people who come from countries that are less represented in America to gain permanent residency in the United States. So they received that lottery just a few months before giving birth to me. So they received it in March and I was born in July. Yeah. Wow. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I didn't realize that that was the program that we have. It, it, it is. And it's one that is highly contested, especially in our current political um, realm right now. But yes, like this is the way that my family came and a lot of our close family um, were able to immigrate to, here, to this country. Wow. So, and so can you tell us a little bit about, um, I guess, your, where this all started for you in terms of your interest in politics. I mean, you're also, I read that you're, um, you were, I don't know if you still are, part of the governor there in Minnesota, Governor Mark Dayton. Mm -hmm. um, they have this young women's cabinet. It's like the first ever young women's cabinet. And I found that to be so amazing. And so I don't know if it started there for you or sort of where, where it all began. Yes. Okay. I will. So that is, that's kind of where it began, but I will start with my academic journey. So I'm, I just graduated from Hamlin University. I studied public health and political science. And, you know, crazy thing is I actually wanted to become a doctor. Like that was my goal when I first got into school and I took my, you know, bios and chems, and then I took a public health course. And I honestly only took it because it had the word health in it. So I was like, this has to be useful for a future med school application. And I took the class and it completely shifted how I viewed health um, in relationship to like community in relationship to law and policy. Like it just completely shifted what I, what I thought health was. And originally I thought that health was created in hospital rooms, but in reality, health is actually created in our communities. It's governed by laws and policies. And that's like, that's where I found my interest to be more invested in is like, I wanna create healthy communities because I know that how much that helped my parents and how much my parents needed that as a as a first generation immigrant growing up and seeing all of the different you know trials and tribulations that they went through that was always my orientation so after taking a few more public health classes i took a public uh, policy class a political science class and that's really where i learned about power um, and this is you know power is what guides my work now and this i think this is the beginning of my reckoning and like we can't do anything in this country if we don't build power, build collective power. So it was in this class where I realized that a lot of public health um, advancements have been due to public policy and legal interventions. So automatically I was like, okay, I gotta be involved in this because this is where I see um, change really coming forth. So then at the same time, I was involved with the Young Women's Cabinet. So in 2016, at the beginning of my college journey, I was appointed by former Governor Mark Dayton to sit on the nation's first ever Young Women's Cabinet. And wow. what this cabinet is tasked to do is to advise the governor on how to build and create a Minnesota where every young woman and young girl and gender expansive people can thrive. Um, what a declaration, right? Like this is like, this is a, it was a public-private partnership. It was between the Women's Foundation of Minnesota and the governor's office. And, you know, the, this, the former CEO of the Women's Foundation says this all the time. And she's like, I went into the governor's office that day expecting a no. And they walked out with a yes. How can we help? Mm -hmm. And like, I'm, every time I 
tell this story, I just get so excited because I do remember the governor when he formally appointed me, he said, I read through every single one of your applications. And I read through it, not just not because like I was told to, but because I truly believe in the wisdom that young people can offer to move Minnesota forward. And I was like, this is the work that I want to do. Like, that's where I felt the most empowered, the most confident, and where I felt like I had people supporting you know, who I, like, who I do, who I am, what I do, and like, where my community wants to go. So I would say that was really my entrance into this work. And then you had this amazing recognition with the 2019 Truman Scholarship. And you did a lot of work and explained how public health has a relation to police brutality. Can you please explain this even for our generation and those older who are questioning right now even the things that they're seeing in the black lives matter movement mm -hmm. and even what defund the police means mm -hmm. wow thanks for bringing that up i actually have never been asked that in a talk like this but um Yes, I, I was a 2019 Minnesota Truman Scholar recipient and what my, you know, they asked as a part of the application process to submit um, a policy proposal and they actually ask you to like say who you want to send it to, the message and like any of the obstacles that, will, that could potentially um, obstruct like it being passed and my policy proposal was for the for the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, which is our nation's public health um, um, what is it, agency, federal agency, to start reporting police, um, police, de police deaths, so people, like police officers killing civilians, people in our country. And I did this because the CDC tracks a whole bunch of different like diseases, like whether it's like um, meningitis, like all of these other different um, diseases the CDC already, already tracks. And my question was, if we know that police police brutality and police violence are, are in relationship to a lack of public health resources. And I, and I researched this, actually. I, let me take a step back. I conducted research in Minnesota, interviewing lawyers, interviewing public health professionals, interviewing judges on the relationship between public health and police violence and the relationship between public health and crime in and of itself. And you'll be surprised that almost everyone that I interviewed, including police officers, said that the majority of the people that they come in contact with are people that are lacking basic resources, access mm -hmm. to food, access to transportation, access to employment, access to housing. These are the things that actually facilitate or produce crime in communities. And it's not per se like moral failures as as I think our political discourse tends to tends to speak about it. Mm -hmm. So my question was with when I approached this policy proposal was we need the CDC to track these numbers because it's, I, I find it to be it's like it, it's almost their obligation to make sure that first of all we don't have a national database that records police um, um, people that police kill. In fact we when I, when I was doing my research on this, I had to use The Guardian, which is a UK-based newspaper, because they were the ones that were tracking US police wow. deaths. Yeah, like I was, I was shocked. And like, honestly, um, I was saddened. I was like, I can't believe that we can't take this as a responsibility of our own, of our own self to at least, the least that we could do is record who was being killed and why we couldn't even do that so 
for me, I was like, one, we need to start recording the recording these debts. And then obviously the next step will be, we need a public health approach to these problems, not a criminal legal justice system approach. Because we know that the root causes of this is not moral failures, is not, um, you know, people who just want to act uh, act out, but it's really, really rooted in public health. It's rooted in a lack of access to basic resources. So that's really the like what initiated that um, research. And I and I think even recently, when people are start, starting to talk about defunding the police and reforming the police or whatever, um, it's kind of come back into into conversation that we do need a national database because right now we still do not. Um, okay. it's, it's sitting in Congress, still hasn't been passed. Um, and like at the very least, this is something that advocates are saying the DOJ should start reporting on, but even that hasn't been passed. Mm. So we are, but this is why I do the work that I do, because I do believe that when we have, you know, leaders who are reflective of the communities that we live in, maybe we'll get, you know, faster traction. <laughs> exactly. Well, we're so grateful for you and your work for sure, because this is not an easy task and yeah. No. Yeah. Well, Ryan talked about it before, I guess, briefly, but if you could kind of explain, I think what I, I feel like a lot of people are not understanding this concept of defunding the police. I think that they are not clear on what that means. And I'd be curious if you could tell us what that means, mm -hmm. because I feel like people need to know. Yes, I think it's a term that has um, definitely been a very contentious and like deeply misunderstood phrase, I believe. Um, and I will say we defund a lot of things in this country. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, we defund education all the time. We defund healthcare all the time. We defund housing all the time. And and then, and, and that's true. And when the calls for defunding the police came, I think people were automatically like up in arms. And I'm like, I wish we were up in arms when it's defunding healthcare, defunding housing, defunding education, our children education, K to 12 education. Like, I mean, this is, there yeah. are so many, yeah, like there are so many things that are being defunded. And I, I find it saddening that we were much more up in arms about this uh, compared to other resources. But my bottom line here is especially um, like I, I currently at Ignite, we're actually hosting a power to the people um, training session for young people to get appointed to police commission boards where they are responsible for making a lot of the decisions when it comes to police um, violence incidents. And, you know, what I say to folks who are so, um, you know, misunderstand the phrase defund the police is that I ask you to Deep, dig deep into like what safety means for you because that is initial like that is what prompts people to saying defund the police it's not that they don't want safety it's actually because they want safety they want public safety so i do think one thing that we can all agree on is that we do want our communities to be safe and i think the question becomes how do we want to get there how do we want to make sure that we're addressing the root causes that cause mm -hmm. crime um, in our communities in a way that's, that's healing and restorative, brings everybody into conversation, doesn't pit people against each other. You know, like we do need to have these really rough, tough conversations, but I do know that once we do begin having them is that's when we can uh, 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 like get to a place where we can say we all feel safe and we all feel included in the process. Yeah. So what Ignite, let's talk about Ignite. Um, could you tell us about Ignite and what your role is there? 
Yes. Um, I do want to begin with the fact that like, I, the reason why I love Ignite so much and like the reason why I do my work every day is because when I was in the advocacy space and I was working with the governor, I realized in a lot of our conversations that I was speaking with leaders who just simply did not look like me, did not understand the experiences that I've been, went through, me and my communities have went through. And it got to a point where I'm like, why can't we also be the decision makers? Like, why do I have to sit on the other side of the table? Why don't I also get to be the decision maker and represent my community? Because I know I, I have been through a lot of the experiences that they have, and I'm, I'm willing to be an advocate for them. So that's when I came across Ignite. And Ignite is a national nonpartisan organization. We're a movement of young women from coast to coast who are ready and eager to be the next generation of political leaders. Like that is what we do. We are building the next generation of political leaders. And that's, that's huge, y'all. Like I, I, was tell, I was just talking about what it means around about building power and collective political power in this country and it's transformative. So at Ignite, we train women all the way from middle school to high school and beyond to run for office. And yes, it starts in middle school and people are like, middle school? I'm like, yeah, we can start in middle school because for, for far too long, we only, we've only seen elected officials who don't look like women, who don't look like women of color, immigrant women, indigenous women. We, don't, we haven't gotten to see that. So we need to begin in middle school. So we have young girls who are growing up to say that, if I wanted to run for office, I could. If I wanted to run for the presidency, yes, I could do that. I don't want anything to be off the table. So I love the work that I do with Ignite. And you know, I think that once again, like the key part about this is that we're, we're a movement. So it isn't just something that's getting done in Minnesota where I am or some, somewhere um, in, in Oakland where our home office is. It's, this is a movement. We have young women from coast to coast that are doing this work, starting college chapters on their college campuses, hosting policy workshops, hosting um, uh, town halls with their elected officials, especially women elected officials. And we're really building a political sisterhood is what I call it um, in Minnesota. I love, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I love like we you know, like people always say like it's the bros club in like, polit like politics space. So I'm like, we need a political sisterhood. We do yeah. need a space where we're not only getting women into like, or thinking about running for office and eventually running for office, but we do need to create some like a, a, a sense of ca a capital. So for women to feel em empowered and supported while they're on their journeys. Because for men, this is kind of built in and almost assumed. But yeah. for women, yeah. well, for women, when we look at the pipelines of support, when we are pursuing you know, offices, elected office, or really almost any other professional endeavor, there aren't really built in systems of support for women. Yeah. Um, so that's what I'm doing. Like I'm building political sisterhood and power. Um, and I'm making sure that women like all across this country, but especially in my region, I'm the Midwest program manager, feel empowered and confident to take on whatever it is that they want to do. Uh, that's amazing. And they should start in middle school because I, I feel Brian and I were just talking about this the other day about how you know, the voting process basically and, and trying to explain the voting process. And I was telling her how I went on USA.gov and they have this video for children to sort of understand the voting process, but they completely missed out registering to vote. And I'm like, isn't that part of the voting process? Why are we like completely omitting that from this conversation? And even now as an adult, I, I sort of blame when I'm younger that they didn't 
properly educate us on the voting process and explain to us what that was like. And, 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 you know, I think it is important to infuse these things with especially young women at a younger age. So it's really great that Ignite does that. But I guess my question to you would be, if you are a young woman, maybe not in middle school, but, you know, a bit like out of high school or something to that effect, and you are looking to go to politics, do you guys, do you guys have reach out programs? Do you guys have, like, how do people find you? How do they know about you? Oh, there's so much to get involved with. So if you're a college student, you can get involved with one of our college chapters across the country. You can go to our website at ignitenational.org and you will find a list of where we are at. But if we are if we are not in your city and we are not at your college or university, you can bring Ignite to you. So what I love about Ignite is that we're a national organization, but the work gets done locally, right? So we right. know we give it we trust young women to know what the issues are in their own communities and organize around that mm -hmm. so if you want to ignite college chapter on your campus super easy all you have to do is go to our website and then get in contact with us and we can make that happen and help you support you through the process so finding an e-board finding an advisor getting some event ideas going like we can help you through that process and that's so that's one way to get involved and another way to get involved is you can become an intern with us we have it fall and spring internships we also offer academic credit. Um, we also host conferences throughout the year. Obviously now we're in a very different world. So yeah. we went online like a lot of other people, but we do have like tons of training opportunities, tons of opportunities to meet with elected officials who want to mentor you. Um, yeah, like we have tons going on in the Ignite world. So I definitely like if any young woman is listening right now, I definitely suggest that you go to our website or honestly go to our Instagram too. Like we're really popping on Instagram. Um, so if you just go to Ignite underscore national, that's a great way to stay involved. Join the sisterhood. Yes, the political sisterhood. We're building political power. That's right. I love that. Can we talk about Sophia, but yes. Oh. I love Sophia and I actually was and the thing is Sophia is like the manifestation of months of hard work on my behalf <laughs> so I, Sophia is like like the the like the final destination for me so Sophia I actually your child <laughs> yeah basically I spent a, like a good part of my summer or the or the former part of the summer researching the steps that it takes every young person across this country to submit their ballot in this year's election and my oh my i could not believe how complicated this process is like truly by the end of the research i was just like i don't think our country wants us to vote is what i felt yeah. like for young people especially mm -hmm. because the amount of barriers are in place the amount of cryptic language that's on um, secretary of state's websites are just so inaccessible to so many folks like i just so many folks to name that i was just like how is this accessible and yeah. my job was to take all of that and make it into plain language so young people can vote and they know exactly how to do it in their specific state so like i have a few friends that you know their permanent residencies on one side of the country but they go to school on the other side of the country and depending on the voting laws in those states in the state that they want to vote in like let's say one of my friends wanted to vote in the place that she goes to school in because that's where she spends the majority of her time in that state you are required to have a driver's license to vote and you know she that's not her permanent residency so the only id form of id that she has that justifies her 
-hmm. her residency is her student ID. And there are some states that just don't accept student ID. So that means you'd have to vote at your permanent residency. And I mean, these are things that sometimes young people find out on election day or a little before election day. So they don't even have time to process like, okay, I need to do this. I need to do X, Y, and Z. So this is, you know, this goes to show that this is just one of the many barriers in place for young people. And oftentimes we're always like, young people don't vote. Young people don't vote. Well, I'm like, let's talk about why. Young people don't vote because we don't make it easy to. We don't offer the resources to do so. And this is why Ignite developed Sophia. Like, this is why I did the research that I did. And we programmed it into a, into a chat bot is what it's called. And all you have to do now for any young person all across this country is text IGNITE, I-G-N-I-T-E, to 33777, and it automatically will send you your personalized state-specific voting plan for this year's election. All, like, all you have to um, put into Sophia is like your name, your contact information, and then whether you're registered or not. And both ways, Sophia will send you the information to do so. Now, as we're getting closer to voting days, like I personally already voted. And I, a lot of my friends in Minnesota have already voted because right. early voting has started. Yeah. Um, Sophia allows you to find your polling place if you want to do it safely, socially distanced in person, or right. if you want to request your absentee ballot. And the good thing is that it, it sends you deadline reminders. So you're never like, oh, like, when should I do this? Ignite will let you know. It'll send you an automatic message because you're automatically looped into our um, campaign, our Ignite the Vote campaign. So it keeps you up to date on what your state meet requires. And it's like, it's just super fun. Like you're talking to Sophia. Sophia's helping you through this process. You're not alone. You're doing this with thousands of other young people all across the country. We've had thousands of people use Sophia already. And it's not, and we still have a month left um, until election day. Yeah. So it's the, you know, the theory behind this is that we have to make voting fun, we have to make voting easy, and we have to make sure that young people have it in their hands so they're able to actually, you know, cast their ballot. That is so smart. Like, what better way to make it kind of like Twitter? Yes. I mean, <laughs> this is like step one on the journey to like hopefully being able to vote on our phones at some point. Yeah. Oh, right. Wouldn't yeah. that be just everything? <laughs> I mean, I feel like it, sh uh, it shouldn't be so far-fetched, but like surprisingly, one thing that I also found through my research is that there are, there are I believe six states that still um, don't, don't have online voter registration. And you know, in the day and age and the technology day and age that we have right now, it's kind of shocking that they don't have online voter re re registration application system. So what people have to do is go to the website, print it, and then sign it, um, and then mail it back. And then for some people who want to request an absentee ballot, once they have their voter registration, then they have to print another form for their absentee ballot request, fill it out, mail it in, and then, and then get their ballot sent in. And then again, fill out their ballot and then send it in. So it's yeah. actually crazy how complicated this can be. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm so happy I'm in a state where I can do this from my computer. Oh yes. Gosh. Yeah. This is something, this is why I like, I also like, we work with our young women in the States that don't have this to start mobilizing on, on, you know, having their secretaries of state and their legislature sign off on making this transition. Because once again, like for young people who grew up at the height of technology, we don't find mailing to be very um, accessible or like something that we like resort to as a first option. So 
like, I'm gonna be honest, like, even me, like, the entire idea of, of me, like, mailing a ballot just seemed like, for me, it was like, what? <laughs> so I voted um, socially distanced, safely in person. Um, but, you know, like, I do also recognize that, like, there are some folks that are just not able to go to the polls in person, or because of significant voter suppression, there aren't polling places that are near them. So voting by mail becomes the only, you know, option. And that's valid. And that's, what, and that's why we always advocate for options. And Sophia the bot has both options. And depending on whichever one you want to do, you're ready to do so. And thank you so much to Ignite because you guys have supplied us with an embed code on our website. So we are now going to have Sophia Bot on our website, on our podcast page. So we're really excited so people can go there as well. I didn't realize you could text the bot. So this is really exciting as well. What was the number again? It's 33777 and you text Ignite. Text Ignite 33777. Yes. So 33777 is the number and then you just text the word Ignite and then it'll automatically send you the link to get to Sophia. So no excuses. Everybody has a place to go get informed and to register or vote or figure out your polling place and know your deadlines. So that's super important. Um, I really want to know from your perspective and I guess this is this is a big this is a big voting year. I mean, every time we vote, it's a big deal. But I I definitely feel like at this time this is especially important. Um, but I'm curious what you see or what you would like to see for the future. I know that's a big question, but I guess if you could choose maybe one or two things that are really important to you that you would really like to see in the future. I mean, you know, because of the work that I do, I would just like to see a future where young women are equally represented in our government and our decision-making, like, you know, at the very least. Right. Um, I want our government, our elected officials to reflect the beauty and diversity of our country, because I know our country to be so much more diverse than our, our Congress and our legislatures all across this country look like. And I believe that our democracy works when we show up and we're equally represented in, um, in decision-making places. So, you know, like my first obvious goal is to make sure that women are represented at all levels of government. And then, um, you know, second, an issue area specifically that I'm really, you know, passionate about besides voting and electoral access is also our climate. Um, as a Gen Zer, it's almost hard to like, sometimes when we get asked the question around like, what do you see in the future? It's almost hard for us to answer now because of, we don't even know how much of a future we have if we don't address our urgent climate crisis. Like our, ur like we are running out of time to act on climate and it, it's, it's just never been more important. And I know we always say this for every single election that goes by but I can't tell you how important this election, especially for the presidential election, is, is, is critical to our pathway forward when it comes to addressing our climate crisis, that every single day we're losing time, we're losing days. So climate, um, building out our electoral system so we have so we have it to be more accessible, where we have people, where young people are able to vote um, in, you know, in a way that makes sense for them. And there, there aren't all of these barriers around online voter registration, all of these applications and voter ID laws, like all of those definitely have to be addressed. And definitely an issue area that I hope is addressed um, by this is climate. I wonder, like I've noticed that it feels like the Gen Zers, they, that group in particular has 
a draw to climate change in terms of having such a strong voice with climate change and even kids younger than that. But I just, I'm so curious why that is. What, what about the Gen Zers? You know, it's interesting because the Gen Zers to me, they're like the cell phone generation, the computers, the techies, the not like outside, maybe necessarily climbing a tree, they're on their phone, you know? So the fact that they are paying so much attention to the climate is really interesting. And I don't even know, I guess I don't know where that comes from, but it's, it's great, thank goodness, because you guys are younger and you should be. I think it really stems from the fact that, like I was saying, like it's, we can't even see a future if we don't have a planet to live in. Right. Our planet is slowly deteriorating and we aren't, as a, as, a, as, a, as a country, we haven't done anything about it. So like I was just talking to um, one of my coworkers the other day and I was like, I can't even imagine a, my children's, my future children's future if we are continue at the rate that we're continuing at. Right. Because that's how dire this, this situation is. And that's how like, that's why for Gen Zers, it's like, we, we need to address, this is an urgent crisis that we need to address now because Otherwise, we don't have a planet that we can that is going to be habitable for um, maybe maybe it'll pass our generation, but for sure, like our future generations down the line. Yeah, it's so scary. It is. This is this is my question for you. What do you have to say to your generation and those coming up who will soon end up voting? What do you have to say to them about voting? Why is it important? Why is it important for a little girl to vote? Why is it important for a young trans child to want to grow up and vote? Why is it important for a, a black child to grow up and vote? We have to vote to live. Like at this point, we have to vote to live. And I always tell folks that in this country, any of the rights that you think you have that are guaranteed, they're not. Our rights in this country are not guaranteed and they will always be up for, they will always be up for debate. So nothing is set in stone. If you think that today, um, you know, you live in a stable house, you have access to food, you live in a fairly safe community, all of that can change with, a, with one bill, two bills. An omnibus bill can change that. So my, my, my thing to when I say to folks, especially people who are like completely disengaged from the polit like political system and are like, you know, politics doesn't, doesn't work for me, I don't want to get involved, is that if you don't do politics, politics will do you. So in this country, unfortunately, we don't get a choice whether we want to participate in politics or not, because politics will, will, will participate with us. Yeah. <laughs> so it's either like the question is, do you want to become an active participant in dictating the conditions that you live in and other people live in? Or do you want to become a passive recipient of what other people make on how you get to live your life? And I don't know about other people, but I know that I will not be letting someone who doesn't know me, doesn't know my community to be making decisions on what I get access to and what I don't get access to. Right. So I'm like, if that isn't a driving point for people, I'm like, what, what is? Like, don't you want to get, like, you want to be in the driver's seat of your own life. Mm -hmm. And this is the way to do that. If you don't show up, someone else will show up. And that person that shows up is going to have twice of a louder voice because you didn't show up. That's, that's just, for me, that's not gonna work. That's not gonna work. And I encourage every young person to realize that the power that they have. I know that our current circumstances can make us feel disempowered, make us feel that we don't have power. But I do wanna say that oftentimes, this is probably the 
the largest in indicator that we do have power. Gen Z and millennials this year make up 37% of the electorate. That's yeah, nearly nice. 40%. Or like that's almost one in two. So when you think about the sheer number, the sheer size of our our large electorate, we're no longer a group to be to be messed with at this point. If we show up in our full numbers, we actually get to determine who who is going to represent us and what issues are going to be forefront on, on, on that. So I say like to every young person who feels disempowered right now, no, this is not the time for cynicism. This is not the time for hopelessness. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm channeling RBG right now. I'm thinking of, you know, her words that she left us with and she was a powerful, she was a powerful um, dissenter on a lot of her legal opinions. And what I've been saying now is that we need to dissent like she did. We need to dissent to hopelessness. We do need to dissent to cynicism and we need to move forward to election day and move forward to building, um, building the future that we know we can achieve. Like it's possible, it's within our hands. We just have to, we have to harness this moment and we have to move it forward. You are so empowered. I love it. I love oh, it. Me. Oh my God, I can't. This is I'm like so inspired by you. Like I want to be you when I grow up, right? They told me you are articulate, but <laughs> you can run circles around me and Ryan. I'm like loving everything you're saying. I, I'm finding myself getting lost in everything. I'm just like, yes. <laughs> Thank true. you. It's very true. You know, I I I think the reason why we ask these questions around your generation. And it's not just necessarily Gen Zers, but also millennials, our generation. I do feel like a lot of people, especially in this time, are looking at what, what we've got in front of us and they're saying, no, I'd rather just not participate. I'm just gonna stand over here and watch this whole thing crumble. And I, I just, I, I truly don't agree with that, but you know, I, I think to have the Sophia bot and to have people like yourself going out there and actively having a voice for the generation can hopefully inspire others to really just make just make that vote count, exercise your right is super important. And I also just say that, you know, our activism doesn't doesn't start and end with voting. You know, voting right. is one part of a much larger spectrum of social change. So you know, to my very hardcore dissenters on like engaging with politics at all, like I say, this is one of the tools in our toolbox. So vote and organize and protest and organize town halls and talk to elected officials and hold people accountable. It isn't a vote and then that's it. But no, I think, I think it's really vote and. So like it's using voting as part of your resistance efforts and as part of your advocacy efforts um, moving forward. Yeah. And it's interesting, too, because I think like you even look at your path so far, you're so young, but still, I mean, in having an interest in being a doctor and health and how that relates. I mean, so I also think another great piece of advice for anybody who's thinking maybe not to vote or have that sense of activism in who they are. I feel like everybody has something inside of them that's super important to them. You know, there is something that each that each one of us will fight for. And maybe it's about finding what that is and really doing your homework on that and seeing maybe how that affects you and or maybe you don't think it affects you, but it does. Um, yeah. Yes, we all have a role in, in, in creating social change. And I do like I thank you for mentioning that like every single one of us has a gift. 
we each have a gift in this work and it's really about uncovering what that is for you and making and hopefully developing and making sure that that is in service to some type of social change in our country because it is totally possible if it's if you're someone who creates music music is needed for social change like that music has itself drawn so much people to start thinking and deeply imagining what our world could look like art if you create art that's a significant part of social change and, and activism some people are so like just by witnessing art and the meaning behind the art the the work that goes in that goes behind in creating the work of art is all like enticing like all people are are drawn to the you know art and i i actually remembering this quote that i read in a book that i finished recently and it was like we couldn't have we couldn't have had the civil rights movement if it hadn't been for the harlem renaissance so the idea there is that if we don't imagine and create the world that we want to live in first the, the other stuff comes later but we do need to invest in our imagination invest in art invest in things that things that bring us our, our emotions and bring out our, our deepest creative imaginations into building the world that we want to live in love that ends matter right love that right love it. right it has stuck with me ever since i read it i was just like wow mm -hmm. like true like it's and it's something that's so blatant like obviously we see we see it in history but like the way the author just pulled it out and was like boom i was like yes that's so true yes well right this has been awesome thank you for blessing us with your presence this has been great yeah. i made a sign for you I know, I, I, I actually just saw it and I was like, so cute. I'm a little bummed because I, I didn't put hashtag ignite the boat and that is the hashtag for ignite. So for all of you out there, hashtag ignite the boat um, is the hashtag you guys have going right now as well, right? Yes, hashtag ignite the boat. That is our national campaign. We have already reached thousands of women um, all across this country and the goal is to reach a million. So um, we, yeah. we got you know a little less than 30 days countdown um, to election day. And I know that young women are gonna determine the elections this year. Um, thank you so much for having me. This was such an empowering and exciting conversation. Thank you. We are so great to talk to. We were so excited and we just are so inspired by all the work you guys are doing at Ignite. And we, yeah, we're just, yeah. just very lucky to be in your presence tonight. So thank you. Oh, we didn't ask. We always ask at the beginning of the episode what you're drinking. And we didn't ask you what you're drinking. What are you drinking? <laughs> I am sticking to a strictly water diet right now. Good. That's good. <laughs> I'm trying to get a gallon in a day. I don't know how that's possible, but so far I've been getting three liters. I, I'm drinking my press um, alcoholic seltzer that's a pomegranate ginger flavor. Very good. I made the mistake of not having a drink before the last um, debate. So this one, I'm just going to have one drink to just take the edge off. <laughs> just in case. Just <laughs> in case, yeah. We yeah. may all it. <laughs> well, great. Thank you so much for being on the show. It was so good to talk to you. Yeah, thank you for having me. And I look forward to staying in contact. 
can also keep up with me and Ryan on our Instagram at Twisted Times a Podcast and our YouTube channel, Twisted Times a Podcast. We also have a website, www.twistedvalleyfilms.com, where we have merchandise that supports the show along with our TV and film watch list. In the episode's description, you will find a section to submit a voice note. This is for guest suggestions and listener questions that we will air on the show. Thank you all for continuing to support us. Thank you.